Are you someone you know battling cancer? Welcome to Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carl Feld, where you get to be part of a live consultation with a patient diagnosed with cancer. I was never close to my father. In fact, I found out that he passed away from colon cancer six months after he died. I never got to be with him during his struggle. This podcast and the cutting-edge integrative cancer therapies I offer at my center are my chance to do what I didn't get to do for my father. Tune in as I get to know the struggles and victories of my guests while battling cancer. We will discuss natural medicine and how it can safely be integrated into traditional oncology care. You are not alone in your struggle. Well, Mark, it's so exciting to have you on my show. You have, you have such a powerful story. I mean, you're one of those that uh, should have been dead how, dead how many years ago now? Yeah, I knew you were going to hit me with some math there, Michael. <laughs> I would say 22 years ago. 20, 22 years ago, yeah. Kind of traditional oncology for what you dealt with, the cancer you dealt with, how successful are they to deal with that? Well, in traditional oncology, they're making a lot of leaps and bounds. I wouldn't dismiss it. I'm not facing the the terrible diagnosis today, but if I were, I would certainly look into the traditional allopathic forms of treatment. I mean, as I did back in 1997, my own father was a homeopathic physician and he advised me to, even though he was the one who supplied me with poly-MVA, he was the one who said, Mark, just do the surgery, do the radiation, do the chemo. I mean, I don't know how much faith he had in poly, but I have a lot more faith in it now. (laughs) But I was, you know, my dad was an MD. I mean, he, and I, I trusted him. I definitely went along with all of the can I characterize them as bodily destructive allopathic treatment protocols? PCV chemotherapy almost killed me. And radiation just like knocked all my hair off for one. So it's really a deleterious form of treatment. And I don't think they've made many inroads into that even today. I think the whole idea is just kill the cancer and kill the patient. I mean, if that happens, well, at least we got the cancer. Right. Yeah. So, so tell me what type of, how did it all start? I mean, what, where, where was the beginning and what kind of cancer did they find in you? Well, the story actually goes way back to 1991. The cancer that I had that I took poly for was a recurrence. So my original diagnosis, the original brain tumor was an oligodendroastrocytoma grade one. What, what is that for people that have no clue? Because you, you spewed out you know, a very long name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oligodendroastrocytoma grade one. I, I, don't, I know that an astrocyte are star cells, and, and I think they're connector cells. Honestly, Michael, I don't, I don't want to know a lot about brain cancer. I mean, it it was sort of a protective mechanism for me initially because I was just too scared. And now my life is really too busy to be a technocrat. You know, I leave that to to the doctors and others to explain to patients what they have and (laughs) leave the life expectancy off of it, doctors, okay? I mean, that is just information no one needs to hear. Yeah, nobody's got always an anomaly outside that bell curve. They're always outliers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, nobody's God. Nobody has a crystal ball. I mean, mm-hmm. and yeah, 
and like I said, there's always outliers. You know, why tell the average or why when they're the majority of people are not the average? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my story begins actually in 1991. I had a migraine and I've never had a migraine before. I didn't know what it was. And the migraines, they start off with no pain, at least mine did. But what you'll see is a kind of an eerie visual effect. And I was driving on a freeway in LA and suddenly the space just flattened. And I was, I was really terrified. I'm, I'm driving a car on a Los Angeles freeway and I didn't feel safe. I thought, I feel like I'm in a painting. And so I took the next exit and I was with my then girlfriend and her mom and boyfriend were in the back seat and we were on our way to Disneyland, I think. And I pulled off the road because I just didn't feel well. And then it started, I got, I, I was feeling a bit of a headache and I, I took some aspirin, but that is not going to do it for a migraine. <laughs> there, and I, still, I was terrified. I didn't know what this was, but oh my God, it hurt so badly. And I, as I said, I've never had one of those before. And I kind of forgot about it. About three months later, I had a grand mal seizure and luckily I was sleeping and I, I remember <clears throat> being woken up by paramedics that had come into our apartment and they had a gurney and they were soaked in rain. And I thought, this is a nightmare. What's going on? And Belinda, my, my then, well, she was to be the mother of my <laughs> two kids, but that I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> she looked absolutely ashen. She was so terrified and I still didn't know what happened. And they put me in this gurney and I'm like, I'm in the toilet zone. What's going on? Somebody in the ambulance said, you had a seizure. I'm like, what? And they gave, they did a CAT scan and that revealed something, some shadow in the right, right frontal lobe of my brain. I'm sorry, left frontal lobe. It was not definitive. And what they would need to do is an MRI. And one of the things I can say about getting brain scans is uh, MRIs are preferable to CAT scans because there's no radiation in an MRI. So I'm willingly, <laughs> I, I will willingly lay myself down for an MRI. Anyway. And they use dye um, though. So you, they still use like the dye. Okay. The gat gadolinium. Yeah. Yeah. It, that is, <laughs> I do feel the effects of that. Yeah. So in order to pay for an MRI, <laughs> I, it's kind of a long story, but I had to get on my father's health insurance. He was in Phoenix. I was in Davis, California, fly to Phoenix and get that MRI. Cause that's where my folks were and my sisters. And the MRI was a little more clear and it looked like it wasn't a bruise, but possibly a tumor. And so I made an appointment uh, with Barrows Neurological Institute for an operation, and it was to be on April 4th of, of 1991. And it was then it was diagnosed as an oligodendro astrocytoma. So <laughs> the follow-up for that, and I should mention, this is the most terrifying thing, and I, it's weird, Michael, I, I completely blanked this out. I completely forgot that I was told that it happened it has a 50% chance of recurrence. And if it does come back, it's not going to be a grade one. I mean, it could be anywhere from a two to a four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was kind of unusual in my 
case is that it transformed from an oligodendro astrocytoma to a glioblastoma multiforme. Okay, that, that's in, a common in, scenario. In six years. Yeah. So with the caveat that I have a one in two chance of getting a, a worse brain tumor at some point in my life, possibly. I was obsessed with games of chance in which my odds were 50%. Oh, really? That was how I dealt with it. Yeah, that was how I dealt with it. Uh, and it was absurd. I mean, I realized I was living in this... <laughs> like this panic denial thing i was i really and i always gave myself the, the house the house has the better odds <laughs> i always kind of cheated and i never did a toy, coin toss because that would have been too like iffy yeah, yeah, yeah but my challenge my challenges were like if i can walk on this along these this parking berm without falling off for 50 feet <laughs> i'll be fine yes you're, 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 it's not gonna happen to you yeah no it's not gonna happen to me yeah, yeah so with the two mris they were the doctors had said or the doctor said that i should get them six months apart and i was with an hmo at the time and they didn't really get back to you the same day with the results of the uh, scan and it could be actually any day. They, they, so, they didn't understand the importance, you know, of, for you <laughs> to actually get the results. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and, and that was, I mean, I, I was so anxious waiting for the results, waiting for that phone to ring. Is it for me? And like, I was working at a television station as it doing on-screen graphics at Channel 10 and in Sacramento. I was an on-screen graphic designer, one of many. And the phone would ring. And, and from the point of you know, getting that scan, it could be, like I said, three or four days. Mm. And if that call was for me, then I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, is it them or is it Belinda or? <laughs> so every call was them calling in your, yeah, in, in your mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So under that stress, I got migraines and I was terrified of migraines, you know, like that means I have another brain tumor. It was so nerve-wracking, Michael. So after two, I mean, I, I did a good year, and it was so unpleasant that I just said, "I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop getting scanned. Yeah, I'm going to just drop all of this because it's it really is not healthy." No. So that was my great denial phase. <laughs> I got so much accomplished. I I got accepted to Yale, and I, I did a design degree there, and I did very well there. I, my girlfriend got in this order. She got pregnant, and then she became my wife. <laughs> so <laughs> Belinda got pregnant in around September. I mean, she was kind of secretive. I think the September of, of 1994, I should say, we moved to, from Davis to New Haven in '93 in the summer. And I went there to get a master's in graphic design. And Belinda went there to, she already had a master's in nutrition from UC Davis. So she was going to get her RD certification. That's registered dietitian at the New Haven hospital. And, and so I did my thing. She did her thing. And it was two years of kind of bliss, you know, and a little complication with a child. <laughs> like, to, uh, like children do, you know, right, flavored life. Yeah. Yeah. So Josie was born in, in March, uh, March 10th, as it happened. And I graduated in May of that year. So my dad came out 
then it was just, I thought this denial thing ain't bad. <laughs> and then I got a wonderful job. There was a recruiter who placed me with a design company in Watertown, Massachusetts by the name of Hatmaker. And, and they, Hatmaker did, they did corporate, no, they all do corporate television branding, like Universal Studios and Warner Brothers and these oh, really? big guns, you know, yeah, big yeah. names. Yeah. yeah. If you, let's say Universal wanted to launch a channel in Europe, Hatmaker would be hired to brand it and, and give it a color and a name, even a name. And so there, there were big accounts and those were exciting times for me. I did that for two happy years. And then my, I happened, my, I should say my, one of the first people I worked with was my project manager, which, you know, is kind of par for the course, but I didn't expect that she would be so pretty. <laughs> Her name is Mariana Gracie. And it, I was kind of, I, mean, I don't want to sound like a louche, but it was love at first sight. And I have to couch that with Belinda's and, and my marriage was really, I mean, after the first, my first seizure and the first brain tumor, I mean, what we had, Michael, just dissolved. I mean, we really went to Yale as like two separate entities who were friends. And so, I mean, it was loveless and lonely, but, you know, she was good to me and I was good to her, but we were you know, simply friends. So yeah. there wasn't a lot of, you know, guilt on my part. And Mariana is the daughter of an Episcopalian minister. So she was not going to do anything <laughs> untoward until I was divorced. Yeah. yeah. So um, okay. <laughs> eventually that happened. And, and this house that I'm living in, we live here together, Mariana and I. Yeah. So again, getting a little ahead of myself. So Mariana, we, we became really close friends. We had to work together a lot and late nights and but we never ever you know we never kissed we never even held hands but there were sufficient rumors flying around yeah. <laughs> about us you know you could just see it in our face and it happened michael that she invited belinda and myself and belinda was carrying at that point this is i'm sorry december of 95 mm -hmm. so belinda's pregnant now with my son and she's pushing a jogging stroller on the cold beach of Provincetown. This is in December. I, Mariana invited us out to her folks. They have a house in, in Provincetown for just for a weekend. Yeah. And it was really cold and windy and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And as we were walking, as we were walking on the sand, she began, I, I didn't tell anybody, by the way, I just, I didn't, Mariana knew nothing. I didn't want to be that guy with, you know, like, oh, that guy had a brain tumor. Like, no. I don't want to, you know, be the one that they're talking about. No. So Mariana was talking about a person that she knew who had like a brain tumor and it, it wasn't going well. Oh. And so I have to face this talk Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Lyle Alzado and, and Lee Atwater both died of brain tumors, right? And that, that's you know, 90, 95, 96. So yeah. I'm hearing this stuff and I'm like, Ugh. and they are people with connections, you know, at least Lee. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she's she won't stop. I mean, she's like, oh, it's kind of bad. And I'm like, how do I get her to shut up? I don't want to hear this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of laughed nervously and... I was like, I was looking at Belinda yeah. and she asked me like, why are you laughing? And I told her, Mariana, I'm a survivor of one of those. I'm a survivor of a brain tumor. And if you want to be my friend, you won't bring that up again. I still feel that. 
So anyway, she said, you know, I don't think that's a good plan, but you know, I still want to be a friend. So I'll comply. Anyway, uh, fast forward. She eventually talked to another, like a breast cancer survivor. This woman told Mariana, if you love this guy, you're going to get in his face and make him get a scan. And that's just what she did. And so I made a I made an appointment with my primary care physician and, and I said, I've been, I mean, he knew <laughs> in the initial medical re- report, he was the only person that knew of my history. And he advised me to, you know, get a scan. And I said, I'm just, I'm too afraid, Dr. Bernstein. I, I don't want to, I, I don't, I'm not ready for that yet. And so when I finally, when I finally met with him, I was at, I met with him in his office to schedule this. He said, Mark, you know what? You're going to be fine. The fact that you're standing here before me today with no symptoms, yeah, six years, you know, like you're just get it out of the way. Don't be an ostrich. Yeah, yeah. So I I had the scan. It was a Saturday, March fifteenth. Actually, it was the Saturday before St. Patrick's Day. I remember. So I had to wait all Sunday, <laughs> and then my primary care physician was going to notify me on Monday. Wore my lucky green shirt. Yeah, yeah. And at work, and I was unable to work. And no one knew but Mariana mm-hmm. what I was waiting for and why I was so scared looking. You know? So she whispered to me, He hasn't called you yet. And I said, No, no. And then she said, You should call him. So I went home for that. Home was just a, a five minute walk from where I worked. And I called up. Dr. Bernstein, and I was put on hold and it was the, you know, the most nerve wracking (laughs) hold. And then Dr. Bernstein gets on the phone and he says, are you sitting down? You don't like that. Why would he say that? No. It's so like dramatic. Like, are you sitting down? You might pass out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He really mismanaged that. Yeah. So he informed me that there's a mass of two centimeters and and that I should probably have it removed because it looks like the tumor grew back, but I was asymptomatic, which is kind of key, I think, but I would have been symptomatic, I think in a (laughs) couple more months. So Dr. Black, Dr. Bernstein scheduled me for scheduled surgery at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Do you know where that is In, in Boston? No. Well, they've got a really good neurology department there. Anyway, it's pretty, pretty top of the line. And the surgery was scheduled for the 7th of April. Now I began to be superstitious again, but in a good way. (laughs) So four and seven and 97, they were like all good omens because, you know, seven's everybody's lucky number, right? (laughs) And even though it's associated with death in Japan, I've always liked for stability, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, which is good. You're you're right. Nine is completion. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. So I really felt good about the surgeon. He was such a nice man. And he was Dr. Peter McLaren Black. I'll just say his name because I know a lot of people out there have had. And he was chief of of neurosurgery at Harvard, chief of neurosurgery at at Boston Children's Hospital with a special love for small kids, you know, and he he was such a great guy. (laughs) I I really have, have 
a, a lot of affection for his ex, for his expertise. He wrote the book on there's this procedure. It's probably pretty common now, but in '97, it's like a real time MRI, and they hook this cone on your head, and and the doctor can see in real time where the tools are and all that. And there was only one other one um, in Los Angeles at that time. I think it was called MRT surgery, but I, I've forgotten. Anyway, he literally wrote the book on it, like a volume <laughs> on, on the bookshelf. So he he was to do the surgery and very early on, on that Monday morning, I went in and kind of, you know, went to sleep. My, my sister had flown out from Phoenix to be with me. Mariana was there and Belinda and, and I don't think my, I don't think Josie was there. She would have been a little too little, but my son had just been born. He was two months old. Uh-huh, so he was so, there. <laughs> yeah, he was there. Yeah, yeah. So it it went as well as could be expected, but we still didn't know what we were dealing with. It had, they had to do a biopsy, and so Doctor Black leaves. He leaves the an, an entire day. It doesn't matter how long a patient needs to have his diagnosis uh, explained to him and the ramifications. He will take hours if necessary. So. You, you really don't want to be in the afternoon on that because you're going to probably be there till six in the evening. But that was my, that was the card I drew. Anyway, he put some scans up in, in a small lighted booth and I, I turned my head away and he said, are you, you're still in denial. Huh? And I said, yeah, <laughs> I didn't have a scan for six years. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he explained that what the biopsy revealed that this was a glioblastoma multiforme. I hadn't even heard of that before. So apparently it's, it, is it the most common form of brain tumor that it, it, that, that was my understanding. Yeah, it is. It's certainly the most deadly. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's, I mean, yeah, there really is no solution for it. You, they kind of chemo radiation and kind of, and they try to chase it with radiation to you know, go after whatever spot they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, that was the heavy news that he imparted. The first part was putting up the scans, and then he was going to talk about, he was going to meet me later in. A separate room mm-hmm. and we brought nick that's my son he was as i said two months old and he, he was just grabbing on sleeping and grabbing on to the handle of the baby carrier yeah dr black sat down and he, intuitively he stuck his finger under nick's little fingers and was just stroking them like that yeah that really moved me so i thought he's a good guy he told me that the protocol for for these kind, kinds of tumors is resection, which he did in an expert way, mm-hmm. followed by radiation and chemotherapy, and then hope for the best. Yeah. And I said, what am I, I, I asked him how long, I heard this voice coming out of me, <laughs> how long have I got to live? You know, and that's the thing that you see in the movies. Yeah. And he said, no one can tell you that, Mark. At it least just it, was, it was good enough to say that. Instead mm-hmm. of, yeah. It just depends on how you take to the treatment. Yeah. So I knew that radiation and chemotherapy and the surgery itself was kind of not good for my constitution. And about five days after my operation, box arrived. And my father told me to call him when the box arrives. 
Okay. I didn't know what was in the box, but there was six bottles of poly MVA. And at that time, this was pre Google, you know, you couldn't even Google like brain tumors or, no, you know, no, no. or treatments. I had to take it on faith that uh, this is, this was a product that is, does it purportedly does what it says. And I, I really trusted my father and it was an easy, it was easy to have faith in this product, Michael, because it came with no gloss. I mean, it came with just these bottles and like, I think three or four sheets of green copy paper yeah. in which the pat, it was a patent application for the molecule. Like, I don't know about that, but it was so scientific yeah, yeah, yeah. that I thought, wow, this is this looks legit. That was, I needed that, but I came to find out a branding expert, you know? Yeah. So I, it tasted terrible, which I also thought was a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) And so I began taking it and there's absolutely no side effects. I did a loading dose. I think that was, I can't remember now, maybe at least four teaspoons, if not six on the first day. I I, I don't remember what the protocol was in, in 97. It's probably different now. But there was no CoQ10 to take with it. That was a, a, another innovation. So yeah, I began to learn about it and I learned it was a really excellent antioxidant. And I'd even I've been going to the cancer control conventions in, in um, LA and I, I'd, I'd attend lectures on poly MVA. And it's actually, you can, if you're having a stroke, you can just take this and it will stop. So, so just oh, at the moment of the stroke, you can actually, how, how much would a person need to take for that? Apparently, yeah. I mean, there's a, just like you need to take a teaspoon or a tablespoon, not a lot. Yeah, yeah. Michael, I attend, that's something for you to, you know, find out about on your own. Because, yeah. But I, I did attend the lecture on that. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of a funny story <laughs> that relates to that. I had my first mini seizure, which manifests itself in that I can't speak. Imagine Mark not speaking. I was on a full moon hike with Mariana and and one of her best friends. And we were hiking up a mountain and the two of them were ahead of me and they were talking about my kids and, you know, and, and then Mariana turned around and said, well, Mark, why don't you tell Beth about that? And I couldn't speak. Mm -hmm. And I, I, kind of knew that something was going on you know i knew what i feel kind of weird but that mini seizure i mean it's somewhat you know mentally limiting i don't even think i could write down i can't speak i could mouth out to to mariana's utter terror like that just like she started crying yeah but i thought Maybe I'm having a stroke. I don't know what this is. So on the way to the ER, we stopped by. We stopped by home and I drank half a bottle of poly. <laughs> half a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't a stroke at all. It was one of many seizures that I've I've experienced over the years. And you know, they're they are not fun, but I get through them. So I'm, I'm curious, how, how did your dad know about poly MBA? I mean, he's, I mean, yes, he's homeopathic, but he's a medical doctor, right? Just Yes, yes. He got his degree in psychiatry. 
And after years and years of prescribing drugs that weren't helping people, they were only treating the symptoms. He lost faith in that form of medicine. And he, he wanted to, I don't know, redeem himself. And he looked into homeopathy and he looked into kind of all kinds of alternative medical treatments. And how he found out about polyMPA to answer your question, his colleague was using, had been using it for, I mean, this was 97 and polyMVA was being tested on humans human test subjects in 91. So Abram Burr had been using, that's his colleague, had been using it for a couple of years, I think, on on brain tumor patients. And poly was specifically designed to treat brain tumors. But of course, it it, it has a lot of other benefits and it's completely Mm non-toxic, which I like. So his colleague said, Stan, your son needs this. And at the time, I mean, people talk about how expensive PolyMVA is now. Yeah. It was over $800 a bottle in 97. $800 a bottle? Mm-hmm. So it's four times the price. I mean, it's around 200 now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's four times the price at that time. Right. Okay. And six bottles, that's a lot of love. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Considering then we're looking at 4,800 in 1997 currency, which obviously is a whole lot more than 4,800 now. Yeah. So I thought, wow, this, this probably is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Better be. Based on a lot of different factors, the way they packed it and the, you know, the cost and the taste and. <laughs> I'm glad you know, I had the three sheets of paper with it. At least you got that. The what? The three sheets of paper with it. Oh, right. Box. Yeah. yeah. I, sh- I showed that to my doctors. I said, look at this. Read. This is it. You know, <laughs> I had always been a kind of a, a evangelist with the allopathic medical community. Dr. Sh- Dr. Shapiro, mm-hmm. moving ahead now, he's the chief of neuro, was, I don't know if he still is, at uh, Barrow's Neurological Institute. I... He was working on, you know, chemotherapy. That was his gig. He was trying to develop chemotherapeutic drugs to treat brain tumors. And I said, Dr. Shapiro, just look at this information, you know, and he dismissed it. And it was in my chart that he said, Mark is taking a non-FDA approved cancer nostrum called polyMVA. I'm like, it wasn't FDA approved. And, and so it's just, you know, snake oil as far yeah. as he's concerned. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So, so how did you respond? So you started taking this, you're still dealing with seizures. You did have the surgery. So you removed the tumor that was there. So how did, and you, you started with the polyMVA pretty much at the same time? Yes. I started with the polyMVA before I started radiation. Okay. So my my surgery was on April 7th yeah. and I began taking poly maybe on the you know, 12th or something of April. And my radiation began May 1st and it was 33 rounds. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, I was in communication with somebody. It's so mysterious to me now in the poly MVA community. And it may have been, <laughs> it may have been Dr. Garnett himself. I don't remember, but he told me that because poly-MVA protects your brain from radiation, but not only that, 
it directs the radiation to the cancerous cells, you only need a third of the radiation. So I was ready to do that, but you know who wasn't? Your radiologist. My dad. My dad. Okay. (laughs) And the radiologist, I'm sure. (laughs) But my dad said, Mark, just, you know, we'll we'll do all that we can. And that was kind of my motto. Yeah. I'm going to do everything I can. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do the surgery. I'm going to do the radiation. I'm going to do the chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to protect my body. Yeah. I'm going to do everything I can to protect my body and my immune system. So that's what I did. And a lot of initially, because I didn't know about PolyMVA, there was no way to contact anybody. You know, yeah. I, I was just alone. I also augmented that with a lot of other non conventional protocols. The one that sticks in mind is I practiced this form of Tai Chi called Yan Shin Qigong. No, it was a Qigong, I think. And Dr. Yan apparently was the this sage from China who his form of Qigong is meant for medical cures, right? So my sister told me about this and she was going to be attending the Yanqin International Qigong Convention in New York. And she was in Denver at the time. So I allowed every bit of advice that I could hear. Luckily, Michael... The internet was not up and running and it didn't have Google and like 20,000 hits. Like, what do I do about, you know, brain tumor? It is so bewildering right now. I would not want to be in this situation. But for me, I just wanted to know if one person had survived this 10 years Mm -hmm. and I couldn't find anything on that, not on the internet anyway. So I knew it was uh, really important to um, take care of my body. And, and, you know, just try to bear the treatment as best I could. I have to say that I did quit the chemo over halfway through. And, and Dr. Bern, uh, Dr. Shapiro was not happy about that. And he warned me. Yeah. But I think I, I made a good decision there. Why did because, you stop it? Well, it was really, it was the most destructive assault on my body that I'd I'd ever experienced and, and even invisibly. I mean, it's to depletes your bone marrow. Yeah, yeah. And I, I got pertussis actually. And after the third round, it was, I was supposed to be one month on one, one month off for six rounds for, which is a year. Mm-hmm. And the first two rounds, I was like, Hey, I can handle this. It's not, it's nothing. No. But after the third, my daughter came home from school and she had whooping cough. Mm-hmm. And I got it and I lost 25 pounds and I was, my ribs were racked from coughing. I re, that's the sickest I've ever been in my entire life. Yeah. I have never been sicker. I had a fever and I was just shaking and sweating. So I decided then that I'm, I'm going to quit chemo. Like this is it. Yeah. You don't want to die from so, cough or some, something else. You know, because you have no immune system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I talked to, I talked to Mariana, like she was in California by that time. And I was still married to Belinda and, and it was just a marriage and name only. And Mariana pleaded with me, Mark, just, just do it all the way. You know, I, I want you to live. And I said, I'll do one more. Yeah. So I don't regret that decision at all. Although I have to say I was taking a chance. So I stuck to my guns and I stopped it. Interestingly, Michael, the chemo nurse, I ran into her just by the sheerest coincidence yeah. in a in a Walgreens parking lot. I was getting some like flu medication for one of my kids. 
And she said, okay, Mark, this is off the record, mm -hmm. but they don't know what they're doing with chemo. Oh, really? So, and then she was a chemo nurse. Yeah. And she said, I think you made a good decision. Yeah. So I didn't regret that at all. So that, that I mean, that's a nice support. Yeah. With, yeah. So how, so what kind of effect did they have? Did they, with the chemo radiation, did they uh, get, did they shrink things? I mean, what, I mean, obviously they did the surgery and mm -hmm. then they were just kind of doing radiation along where the location for the margins. Oh yeah. They, yeah. when I saw the radiation diagram, like it's in my chart, yeah, 120%. How does it even go up that high? And then there was spillover on my other on my other cerebral hemisphere and i'm like why is that side getting irradiated yeah, yeah. and do you know what the radiation oncologist told me no he said well if the cancer gets over to that side you're going to end up like that guy in one flew over cuckoo's nest yeah and i'm thinking okay you mean randall p mcmurphy <laughs> i mean I, I knew who the guy was <laughs> <laughs> but i'll be lobotomized essentially i mean yeah. that was the level of terror yeah that these guys and that doctor by the way had a sheep pelt on his head i mean it was just it was so annoying it's just like really thick hair so I, i'm noticing that as my hair is just so okay how did you measure success with the poly mva was it just that you were still alive after three years well i i didn't mention to you michael and i think that was your question there's an initial scan uh a month after surgery or maybe three weeks or two weeks i can't remember what and it's just to see like the landscape right mm -hmm. there's an mri and I passed that. And then you go into radiation. And I, I think you get scanned at the very end of that. It's 33 rounds. And it's about a, you know, a month and a half. And then you get scanned. And all of the scans didn't show any tumor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, I don't know if you'd expect to see it during, you know, during radiation. But there was, it was clean. It's called negative, I think negative yeah. for tumor and they that's never changed i had some necrosis you know and they were watching that i think that was due to the radiation but nothing grew back and any loss of function yeah due to the radiation like yeah vision memory cognitive not vision and hearing and as you can tell speech but i do have some cognitive issues and it's hard to tell them apart from just a guy being 57 <laughs> forgetting things but i i have some you know kind of they're they're just confined to cognition so yeah. i was tested actually i had to do a battery of tests from a neuropathologist i think they're a neuropsychiatrist pathologist or something to to assess you know like what my abilities could be and he ran a battery of tests some of some of which were quite fun others were really tedious but the report said that I had I'm having trouble sequencing things okay. that's that's the one thing that I remember like how did things go in a sequence. Mm -hmm. But, but I can still cook, you know, pork roast and potatoes. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I know the steps for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can still sequence that. <laughs> okay. yeah. So, so, so now, okay, you, you finished a treatment. How did you feel after all these treatments? Well, there's a part one and part two to the treatment. Yeah. Michael, I didn't tell you that I got the radiation at Brigham Women's in, in Boston. 
And I worked for about another two months at work. Mm -hmm. And my boss was so nice. I mean, he said, Mark, I don't want you to have any stress. Just work on in-house forms um, for until you feel better. Mm -hmm. So I I felt bad though, because everybody had to pick up my slack. And not a lot of people knew that I just had a brain operation. (laughs) So I really felt uncomfortable. And to the extent that I felt I, I wanted to you know, move on. And besides which I really didn't think I was going to survive. This was just after, after radiation. So I told my boss that I was going to move to Phoenix for the, for the chemotherapy part. I did expect to die. Yeah. And I, I, I just wanted to be around my mom and dad and, and my sisters. And so that was where that, that was back to Barrow's Neurological Institute for the chemo. So after I quit, I just kept feeling better and better. You know, it's kind of a, I don't know if everybody who takes poly-MVA experience, experiences this, but I, I practically never get the flu or colds. I mean, it's pretty remarkable in that way. And, and Mariana is taking, I think, the same dosage as I am, just as a prophylaxis. Yeah. So you, so the dosage, you can't remember what kind of dosage you were doing at that time. I, I know people tend to do around two teaspoons every four hours now with a CoQ10 or ubiquinol. Yeah, it, it's, it was probably the same at that, but without the, without the ubiquinol. Yeah. Okay. And so with that, you just start to feel better and better energy, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And, yeah. and like, like I said, that was back in 97. You, you moved home to die with your parents. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're later now. Right. Yeah. Oh, it was such a great feeling, Michael. You have no idea to pass the six-year mark. Yeah. I mean, one year was like, I'm alive. Yeah. I've already beaten the odds like for the six months to a year. Yeah. 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 Right. And then I was still so, so nervous about it coming back, right? Yeah, yeah. So two years would go by three, and then suddenly I'm out as far as I was Mm -hmm. when I had a grade one oligodendrocytoma. Yeah. And that, for me, was a landmark. And then there was the year 2000. (laughs) Let's get to that, right? (laughs) I think that was, yeah. And then 2001, which was the real, like, that's if, if you pay attention to chronology or whatever, it's, uh-huh. that's really the new millennium. And it, it just year after year kept piling on. And I'm not even at all nervous anymore when I, when I have to get a scan. So, so how often are you getting scans now? Once a year. Once a year. Okay. Well, Mark, that is such, such an incredible story. And I know, I mean, if people can go, if you said you're the longest, longest survivor, the polyMVAsurvivors.com. There's also a radical remission project website. I don't know if you know about that one, but they have they have a searchable database. And there's another GBM survivor there, but I, I she's pretty close, but I got her by maybe eight months. So okay. as far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I really want to impart, Michael, is don't give up. You know, this is not a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And no one can tell you that you're going to die from this. I mean, and I think that this is a podcast is just wonderful, Michael. You're really reaching a lot of people. I read your stats in Australia and England. And anybody out there can contact me. I'm here to 
talk you through like first and foremost you can survive this i did right there's no there's like there are people out there that have survived gbms yeah yeah what are some other questions that people ask when they reach out when you support them what what are some of the biggest concerns <sighs> you know i think they I think most people who contact me and it's almost invariably by email, they just want to know that I'm for real. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if you can see that scar, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's a solid scar. Somebody went in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of fun. I think that people don't know that I had that. I mean, I'm six, three now I shrunk an inch. So I'm, I'm pretty tall and I'm and top of my head is, is like beyond the, the sight range of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So they don't, they don't see it, but you know, it, it comes as a, a surprise when I tell people that I've had two brain surgeries. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank, thank you for being a ray of hope. People really need that, especially, I mean, with any kind of cancer, but especially with that type of cancer. Yeah. So that, that's incredible. That's really incredible. Well, you are so welcome, Michael. And thank you for contacting me. Well, thank you. That is, that's it. You did it. <laughs> and okay. we'll, we'll, we'll have a follow-up conversation in, in 10 years. How's that? Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> you take care of yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Take care of Mark. The information this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or treat any disease. If you'd like to know more about what my center offers, please visit thecarlfeldcenter.com. Please join us next week for another live consultation with a patient diagnosed with cancer on Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carl Feld.